guys, just so you all know, I know if you're new here, that, that what we just did may seem like it goes on for a very long time. It does, okay? But that's intentional because what we, what we believe here is that uh, gathering together as the people of God matters. And the people that we do Sunday with are also the people that we are journeying with with Jesus throughout the week and, like, and throughout our lives. And so the time where we're connecting here, we want to give you enough time to have more of a conversation than just, hi, what's your name? And, and our hope is that what you experience here on Sundays becomes part of the reality of your life and of your week once you leave, uh, once you leave this place. So if that was awkward for you, like I said last week, sorry, I'm not sorry. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and invite Richie up. So, guys, uh, this morning we get to hear the word from, uh, from my friend Richie Sessions. So I was on vacation this week, and I did not prepare a sermon, and Richie did that instead. Uh, so, Richie, you've been in Nashville for how long, Richie? Eight years. Eight years. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of that time with Reformed University Fellowship. Uh, so if you guys don't know, we're a part of a denomination here called the PCA. Uh, and they have a college ministry called RUF. So Richie has spent a lot of his time working with college students, uh, helping them know and walk with Jesus or maybe discover Jesus for the first time. Uh, and then he's now an area director uh, for the Southeast. So Richie lives down in Franklin, but has assured me that his heart really is in East Nashville. So uh, excited for us to hear the word from Richie this morning. Yeah, thank you so much. All right. Okay, so it'll be printed back here, but we're going to look at Luke chapter 6, if you have it in your Bibles, or you can follow along. All right. Luke 6, beginning in verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just ask for your mercy and your grace. I ask Holy Spirit that you would meet with us. That we would know and taste the goodness of your love, and that you would give us faith to trust in you and to rest in everything that Jesus has done and will do for us. Amen. So the topic of the sermon, you're going through the, the sermon, uh, the, the Lord's Prayer, right? Okay. Um, and you're on, we're now on the, the, the phrase, thy kingdom come. You know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. 
thy kingdom come, probably like some of the most well-known language in the Bible. The Lord's Prayer is just sort of everywhere. It's kind of like as famous worldwide as Psalm 23. So much so that it kind of comes white noise after a while. So we say things like, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. I remember playing football. I look like, obviously I played football. Y'all looked at me and was like, that guy's a baller. Um, But I remember we would do the Lord's Prayer in high school before football, and it was like this, thy kingdom come there. It was just like we weren't thinking about it. But what does thy kingdom come mean? Thy kingdom come. What is a kingdom? Like, do, you don't, like, really, what is a kingdom? We're Americans. We live in a democracy. What, what is a kingdom? A kingdom is this. It is a place or a region where a king rules everything. He has complete sovereignty. That's what a kingdom is. A kingdom is a region where a king has complete sovereignty and rule. That's ancient kind of stuff for us. It's, but what does it mean for thy kingdom? So who, who is the thy in the kingdom? It begins with our Father who art in heaven. It's God's kingdom. And it was the most important message of Jesus' ministry. The kingdom of God. God's kingdom. So if it's a place where God rules, what kind of kingdom is it? Can only be answered by what kind of God is he? And what kind of God is this? As one writer calls him, God is a father perfectly loving his son through the spirit, has always been and will always be. What is God like? He's exactly like Jesus. Over and over again, the New Testament testimony is this. God is Christ-like and in him there is no unchrist-likeness. So if you want to know what God is like, he's exactly like Jesus. And what is Jesus like? I'll give you one little venue, one little vignette. Outside the tomb of Lazarus, deeply troubled in his spirit, a hurricane inside. He says deeply troubled in his spirit means he's angry and he's crushed. The the sadness of sadnesses. His hope is like lightning at the same time. While everyone is weeping and retching and laughing and singing and cursing, he says to Lazarus, who is in his tomb, come forth. And he will say it again and there will be no more ICUs. There will be no more hearses. There will be no more funerals. There will be no more caravans of black SUVs. There will be no more granite mausoleums. Because he killed, is killing, and will kill death, John 11. He will kill death by being killed. Before he dies, he looks out while he is splayed out on the cross. And he looks at his enemies and he looks at his father and he says, Father, forgive them, the people who spat upon him and mocked him and nailed him to a piece of wood. He says, forgive them. The kingdom is this guy's kingdom. What kind of kingdom is it? It's the kingdom that is breathtakingly beautiful. So we'll look at two things today. 
What does it mean for this guy's kingdom to come to your heart? First it comes to the heart, point one, and then it flows out into the world. The kingdom of God comes to the heart and then it flows out to the world. Point one, the kingdom of God comes to the heart. He lifts up his eyes to his disciples and he says, blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Jesus says things and they're supposed to sound confusing at first because they're so simple. He kind of jams people's gears. He likes to do that. We have a way of thinking, and then he says something. It's like tapping on the shoulder, and you have to look the other way. What does it mean when he says, blessed are you who are poor and needy and hungry and sad? Blessed? That feels cursed. It's always felt cursed. When Jesus says poor and needy and hungry and sad are blessed, he's saying something here that's in a literal sense, but also in a spiritual sense at the same time. And I think it's beautifully summarized in the words of Henry Nouwen in his wonderful little book, The Life of the Spirit. Where you are most human, most yourself, where you are weakest, there Jesus lives. And when you bring your fearful self home, You bring Jesus home. Where you are most human, most yourself, most afraid and weakest, there Jesus lives. Bringing your fearful self home is bringing Jesus home. That is what he's saying. Poor and needy, hungry and sad, how could that ever be a blessing? Where you feel most cursed is where he is. And the closer you get to your cursedness, the more intimate your relationship is with the kingdom of God. Now, y'all, that's backwards because that's the last place I want to go. What does it mean to be poor and needy, hungry and sad? Who is he addressing? The fatigued, the sore, the aching, the hungry, the thirsty, those with disabilities, those with disease, Or in the words of Tomas Tranströmer, my favorite poet, Swedish poet, weird dude. In one of his poems, he says, look, you live well, the ghetto must be inside you then. The people who have the ghetto inside. In other words, even if we don't look poor, needy, hungry, and sad, there is in all of us, in the human condition, great poverty. Those who are lonely and depressed and ashamed with massive plastic smiles. Who hate the way you look. Who hate themselves. Those of us who curse ourselves. Those of us filled with rage. Those of us with horrible thoughts. With intrusive thoughts. Those of us trapped in our past. Those of us with catastrophic thinking. Those of us afraid of the past finding us out. 
those of us carrying heavy secrets, the bullied for their looks and the way that they act and the way they talk, those who can't put a name on the sense of doom they carry. It's the people in the basement of life, rich and poor. The people addressed in Jesus' very first sermon in his hometown, where he says, I have come to set the prisoners free. Those in dungeons of darkness, I've come to say jubilee. There is liberation, those who are down there. And if that is, if that's where you are today, blessed are you. So when you hear something like that, you even begin to go, that sounds like a mockery. Not if Jesus is who he says he is. Because knowing and feeling your desperate need for Jesus Christ, the need for Jesus is the knowing of Jesus. The need to be rescued by Jesus and your feeling to be need to be rescued by Jesus is the very greatest gift that the Spirit could give you. Does it feel good? Nope. Does your ego like it? Hates it. We hate being pathetic. But think about the word pathetic. Pathetic pathos, empathy, where we get the word empathy or sympathy. While we hate being pathetic, our patheticness stirs inside the very heart of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, empathy and sympathy. He moves towards our patheticness. And so you see it so beautifully in Luke's gospel in the next chapter after this. At Simon the house... Simon's house, he's a Pharisee, he is powerful, he is important, and he has Jesus over for dinner. And while they're sitting at dinner, reclining, and in that day what would happen is you would lean maybe on your left side and you would have your legs spray uh, underneath you. You would have your legs, you would be reclining at table, that's what it was. And you would use your right hand to dip food and to eat like that, sitting on the floor. So imagine this sort of like, these spokes of these people, and and houses were open in that day, and important people's houses where people literally could walk in and overhear people's dinners, their parties. And so here's Jesus with Simon and other important religious people, and a woman, not just any woman, a prostitute, a first century prostitute, comes in and falls down at the feet of Jesus while they're having conversation. You know, could you pass this? Could you know, like, oh, this is delicious. This is great. Comes in, and while everyone's talking, she falls at his feet, and she is weeping uncontrollably. And she pours this expensive ointment that she would have used this perfume that was so powerful that would have allured her men that she would. And she pours all of it out on his feet. 
And so the room fills with this perfume. And it is echoing with her tears. And she is washing the feet of Jesus. And she has her hair down. And you would never take your hair down. A woman didn't take her hair down in a public place. And she's washing the feet of Jesus. And she's drying them with her hair. Think how awkward that is. And how inappropriate that is. And Simon thinks to himself, as this is happening, surely this is not an important man, this Jesus, what a phony. Then he would know, if he was real, he would know that this woman is a sinful woman. And y'all, here's what happens. Jesus looks at Simon and he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Could you imagine how intense that would be? He just read my thoughts. says, Simon, she loves me because she knows how much I love her. And because my forgiveness has gone down, just like water goes down to the lowest spot, my forgiveness has gone down to the very dungeon of hell that this first century prostitute has been living in. And she is overwhelmed by my goodness. You don't love me. The reason you don't love me is you won't admit you're just like her. Blessed are you who realize you're desperate as a prostitute. But the world hates that. And so Jesus says this. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and when they revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. The world hates grace because it takes power away from us. So he says, woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now because you've already received your consolation. You will be hungry. You shall weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you. What does that mean? Jesus is not anti-rich or even pro-poor necessarily. What he's talking about here is self-sufficiency. He's talking about our egos. What keeps us from the kingdom is our incessant need to think well of ourselves. Pride. And I wrote that in all caps in my notes. Thomas Merton said that pride makes us false and humility makes us real. You know the word humility? The root word of humility, humus, means earth. To be humble means to be earthbound. It means to be dust. It means to be earthy. To be prideful means to be full of hot air, to be an illusion and to entertain the illusion of you. I remember being in a, they called it a men's intensive. It's basically just a bunch of broken middle-aged men like myself who go spend a week with a counselor. And the very first thing he said to us, he looked at us in this group, in this thing. He said, do I have permission to be gentle with you men? Let me ask it again. Do I have permission to be gentle with you? And we're all like, did I pay this much money for this? Do I have permission to be gentle with you? 
We went like, permission granted, weirdo. He said, good, because I'm going to be very, very gentle with the real broken you, but I'm going to be relentless. I am going to pronounce woe on the false you and everything that's keeping you from being you. When Jesus says woe, W-O-E, that means disaster. May disaster come upon our false selves. He is pronouncing judgment on false humanity. Because here's the thing, our false selves don't even exist. Who you want to be and who you think you should be, that portrayal, all of those things, woe upon that. It actually doesn't even exist. It is something you feel like you need to be. It is, it is exactly what Adam and Eve were doing in the garden after they sinned. They began to do something. They hid themselves from God and they sowed fig leaves for themselves, hiding from him. That we feel shame and so we hide Early we start doing that. And so when the kingdom comes to the heart, it comes to that place and it exposes something. It exposes the fig leaves of our lives. This is summarized beautifully in Chuck DeGroat's book, Wholehearted. I highly recommend it. Listen to what he says. Humans learn early on that the world isn't a very safe place. We have imperfect parents, peer pressure, academic pressures of success, fear of failure. And it causes us to question whether or not parts of us are acceptable to others, particularly the darker parts. Our zits and warts, our failures, our fallibilities, our inabilities, our disabilities. And during childhood, we begin putting these unacceptable parts of ourselves into an invisible bag. He actually gets that from a poet, Robert Bly. This invisible bag grows as we transition through the pressures of high school. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This invisible bag grows through the rigors of college and the anxieties of marriage and family. And by the time we hit our early 30s, that invisible bag has greatly expanded and it is weighing down even the most resilient among us. I'm going to say that again because that kind of hits your age group here. Sometime in our early 30s, even the most resilient of us carry a very crushing burden. If we, were if we were wise, we would open the bag and begin to take inventory of those forgotten parts, parts we perceive to be ugly or scary, parts that require much courage to face. Sometimes the rabbit hole seems too deep. The challenge is too real, too great. We redouble our efforts, pull ourselves together, and fasten the bag tightly so that no one, not even us, need look inside. Whoa! Right? Do you see how gracious Jesus is? Jesus never came just to blow people up. He's pursuing the people he's pronouncing woe on. Because what those hard-hearted parts of us, those who keep the invisible bag, he's saying to us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. He's almost daring you to come right at him. 
Is Jesus big enough for me? Y'all, that is the kingdom of God. It is not this abstraction. It is not a theological concept. It is very personal. And it is very invasive. And it is profoundly healing. Point number two. It comes to the heart, and then it flows out. Where you feel most cursed is right where Jesus wants to bless. And here's the beautiful thing. Deeply forgiven people become deep forgivers. If you have felt and known the compassion of Jesus for you and your darkest shame, you become compassionate. Hungry people who have tasted the bread of life become beggars who show other beggars where the bread is. It is only when Jesus comes home to the deepest, weakest, most afraid parts of us and we experience him in that place, his rule goes right down to the jungle that is inside of us. And as he As we begin to get healing from that place, something expands inside of us. And it is his shalom. God wants to love the world through you. That's what ministry is. It's not this other thing. Here's the thing. It's not this, I need to get my life together and then I'll do ministry. Or I'm going to do ministry and, and, or I'm going to do kingdom work or I'm going to talk to other people about Jesus or I'm going to do hospitality or I'm going to do works of service and then I have my life over here with Jesus. Jesus works through where you feel cursed into the life of a cursed world. That's how it works. Or as one old woman used to tell me, Linda Elliott, she says, Richie, Can't you see that your grave is now a treasure chest? And so what happens is we shine with the light of Jesus who has come to this very dark place inside of us. It's not you being awesome. In fact, it's gross, super gross. It's not you arriving Christian triumphalism. Aren't y'all tired of that? In fact, the world is over it. Are you? I am. No, it is the broken, the poor, the hungry, the sad, experiencing God's grace and inviting a broken world into it. We become like blue diamonds. Blue diamonds are the second most rare diamond. I looked it up. Red diamonds are the most rare. Blue diamonds, do you know how they're formed? Blue diamonds become blue because they become contaminated with boron. It's on the periodic table. Contaminated with boron that is left over from the dried up ancient oceans in the middle of the earth. Their contamination It's what makes them beautiful and rare. 
your contamination, even your sin, all of the ugliness, when it's seen through the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is so beautiful and elegant and so painful and so liberating. And so what do we become? Doctors, nurses, physical therapists, blue diamonds of healing the curse of pain in people's bodies. Counselors, therapists, teachers, bringing truth and goodness and healing to sick minds and homes where there's been generational dysfunction. We now have relationships that are being mended by God's grace. We become people who want to give samples of the goodness of the kingdom. I experienced this when I was a little boy. I didn't know it when I was a little boy, but this is how good God is. I grew up in Arkansas, as I said. Did I say that? No, y'all just figured it. Um, when I was a little boy, my home was a hurricane. My dad wasn't around and my mom had a lot of issues. It was just a, it was a sad, lonely childhood. And there was a woman who lived across the street. I called her Miss Jean. She was a widow. She was probably in her 70s. She was from Iowa. And she was the kind of old woman that would just talk to you like a real, a real person. Normally, like, old adults are like, hey, dear little buddy. You know? And I remember even as a little boy, I was like, mm, I don't like that. She was like, good afternoon, Richie. How are you today? And I would just go over to her house barefoot with mud all over my face. And I would just talk to Miss Jean because she talked to me like a real person. Y'all know what was happening. She knew what was happening at my house too. She saw me. One afternoon, I told Miss Jean that my favorite food was fruit cocktail. Like the Del Monte kind in the can with the like gray grapes. I said my favorite food is fruit cocktail. I felt very sophisticated to say that. And then not too long afterwards, maybe a week or so, she called me over to her house. And she says, Richie, I have something for you. And at the end of her dining room that, and in her fine china was fruit cocktail. And I didn't have like gear up here to understand what was happening. But I knew somewhere down deep, like way down deep in my soul, what it felt like to be heard. And that if something is that small, y'all, I'm on the planet because of that fruit cocktail. The kingdom of God is us listening and seeing the little boys and the little girls inside of everyone and giving them fruit cocktail. It's us slowing down long enough and us living from our own story and letting God be that good. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to talk about you and your grace and your goodness. Bless all of the people here. Jesus, make us more childlike as we receive you. Amen.